morning. It is great to be back from vacation. We had a great time as a family. We had a great time with, with the five of us. We had a great time with some friends, and that was incredibly restorative for us. There are a couple things that I want to actually mention now that I'm back in town. A couple things coming up. One is today, at noon at Robius Landing, we're going to have three baptisms today. So we're going to celebrate that. I want to let you know. Yes, very much want to celebrate that. So we would love for you to come and, and join us. And we sent out an email about that earlier this week. If you did not get that and you want to be on our email list, make sure you fill out one of the cards or go to velocitychurch.info and let us know. And if you have been considering baptism, we'd love for you to come talk to us after the service. And we can, we can prep. For, for noon for you to come join us at Robius Landing. It's just down the road. You can Google it. And uh, we, are, we are really looking forward to celebrating that. There's another thing that we have been invited as a church to celebrate as well. Tiny and Linda Richmond are about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> and their daughter and son are throwing them a party for that, to celebrate that. Um, you know, let me just let you know, like every time you have an anniversary or, or birthday or something like that, we're not going to announce that to the congregation. I'm just, but there is something significant and special about 50 years and that celebration of marriage. I mean, that, that is uh, such a key, important theme throughout Scripture. There's an example for so many different things that God shares with us in that. And uh, they've invited us to share and celebrate with them in that. And so I just want to let you know about that. That's August 19th at 2 p.m. here at the building. And so we'd love for you to come and join that. Well, like I said, we just got back from uh, the beach. And I just want to tell you, uh, one of the most spiritual things that you can do in your life is take vacation. I, I mean, we do, Americans are terrible at taking vacation. I, there's something about us, like, we like to work for free. I don't know what that is. I don't know why we, we don't do that. But you need to take your vacation. And it probably has something to do with the type of... Um, schedules and lives that we lead when we're not on vacation, you know, that we kind of desperately get to that moment. And you're like, oh, finally. That was kind of how I felt coming into vacation. And now I feel, I feel restored as a result of that. And there's all kinds of reasons for why we need vacation. Um, this is not a sermon about Sabbath, but that's why I think God instituted the Sabbath, because he knew we need regular times of rest throughout the week. There are a couple different uh, reasons why we need vacation. One is just regular use. I mean, I just regular everyday use. After a while, you just need a break at some point. Sometimes it's neglect. We, we neglect ourselves in ways and in, in all kinds of, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in ways that we just need to recover from. And sometimes, um, sometimes just accidents. You know, it almost sounds like we're like cars, doesn't it? And so sometimes we just, we just need some repair and, and those kinds of things. I, I like watching car restoration shows. I love seeing things kind of being brought back to their former glory. And as you can tell, I have been brought back to my former glory as a result. My wife is shaking her head no right now. I don't, I don't know what that means or what she means by that. Sometimes, though, it's a little bit more serious than that. Sometimes the reason we're so exhausted and we need a break and time off is because we've been self-abusive. I mean, we, we've, just, we've just abused ourselves. You know, it's like some of us drive too fast and hit our brakes too hard and those kinds of things. So our brakes wear out more than they should, those kinds of things. And um, being abusive to ourselves is the quickest way to get beat up and exhausted. And even worse, sometimes we get caught in that and kind of have to be forced to take times of rest from our activity and our actions. Have you ever been caught? It's not a great feeling, especially with something that you've been trying to keep secret from everybody else. Nowadays, with video surveillance and that kind of thing, it's so much, 
so much harder. You guys have heard of porch pirates before. You know what I'm talking about. You've got Amazon packages because we all get them every day of the week at this point. But now you've got those ring doorbells and the video stuff, and now you've got all kinds of footage of people getting caught when they do these things. And, and it's actually gone up a little notch. There's a former NASA engineer that kind of saw these things. He said, I bet we can do this even better. He developed a glitter bomb trap. Have you seen this? It's, it is very, some of you are saying yes. It is very worth looking this up on YouTube and watching at least one of the videos. It, there's a picture I think I have of this um, where this is somebody who's opened a package and, and the glitter bomb shoots glitter all over the place. And, and the people who, he put in cell phones as well. He even upgraded a little bit and included um, fart spray. I bet you didn't know fart spray was going to be mentioned in a sermon this morning. <laughs> but, you know, he, he kind of like kept upping the ante and, and including that. It is a lot of fun to watch other people get caught. Doesn't feel so good, though, when we get caught. And we're going to be talking about this morning. We're, we've got one more summer. This is our last, one more psalm. This is our last psalm of the summer. And it's Psalm chapter 51. And we're going to be talking about the guilt that we feel when we get caught. There's going to be a little bit more to it than that. But in Psalm chapter 51, this is written by David, as are most of the psalms, or at least half of the psalms are in, in the Bible. And do you remember VH1? I don't even know if that's a thing, but they would do the behind the music stuff. Does VH1 even exist? I don't know. I don't know if it does. It does? It, okay, behind the music, you can YouTube it, uh, you know, old school stuff. And they tell stories behind the songs. Well, Psalm chapter 51, if you turn there into your Bible, you're going to see a behind-the-scenes story for what this psalm is all about. And here's the inscription before Psalm 51. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, maybe we could just kind of gloss over that, because in the Bible, we just read it. We know some things that have happened here and there, but I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that I would want to write a public poem and prayer for one of my most terrible and embarrassing sins. Not to mention that first sentence says, for the director of music. Can you imagine if, if something like that was one of our worship songs? Rob yelled at that stupid driver. And then he cussed him out. Yeah, you know, sung to the tune of Amazing Grace. Um, like, that would be weird, right? If we had that as one of our worship song, part of our, our set. But this is what David writes as part of their worship, a prayer, a poem, a song in the Psalms, talking about the aftermath and what he does with the guilt that he feels with one of his most terrible things that he had done. The backstory is really important for us to understand. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12. Some of you guys know this, but King David found himself on his palace, at his palace, on the roof, kind of looking out. He should have been off to war with his people. He should have been fulfilling his role and responsibility, but he wasn't. And he was in a place where he shouldn't have been. So he's kind of looking around, and he saw a woman bathing, and he didn't, like, keep looking. He kind of just stopped. So he sent some servants to find out who this was, found out it was Bathsheba, found out that this was Uriah the Hittite's wife. So this is one of the people that he had relied on to go fight his wars, one of his, one of his warriors. And while Uriah was off to fight for the king, David had Bathsheba to come visit him. Now, was she in on it? Did she just go with it? Was it against her will? We don't know what happened, but we do know that she conceived a child as a result. And David thought, oh no, I'm going to get caught. 
So I got to do something about it. And see, he said, you know, maybe, maybe I should tr- try to cover this up. I'll bring Uriah home. Surely he'll hang out with his wife while he's home. But Uriah didn't because he felt the weight of his responsibility to his men. So then David plotted to kill Uriah because that's the next best option by having him abandoned on the battlefield. Now that did work. And so David is like, all right, good. I've, I've covered it up. We're, we're fine. But then Nathan the prophet comes along. He shares the story of a lamb that's been stolen from another man. And David says, who would ever do such a thing? And then Nathan says, you would. Like, you're, you're the guy. You've done this. And then David was caught red-handed, guilty as charged. Adultery, murder to cover it up. Doesn't get much worse than that. And that is the context of this psalm. It's important to know this because you can feel the weight of David's prayer. Now, this is the man who's described as a man after God's own heart in Scripture. But understand that even a man after God's own heart has some some issues, has some brokenness, has some guilt in his life. But one of the things that makes David a man after God's own heart is that he continued to lean into and pursue God in the midst of that and what God wants to do to restore him out of his guilt instead of running away. And so there's three things in the psalm that I think are really important for us as we deal with guilt in our lives. Because I know all of us deal with guilt. You might be dealing with some guilt right now, maybe some guilt that you've held on to the past. And I'm not talking about things that other people have made us feel guilty for. I'm talking about the things that our own brokenness that we've caused reason for guilt in our own lives. And so the first thing that David starts off with is confession. In this prayer, in this poem, he starts off with confession. You can almost feel the emotion David writing you know, through his tears as he's writing the psalm. He starts off with verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Ink on a page. He's talking about, you know, taking something wet and, and blotting, soaking up that ink, you know, erasing it. Blot out those transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is not theology about babies being sinful. David is using poetic language to describe how utterly sinful he feels in this moment. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now, starting off, especially in verse 4, David says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, it's not to say that he didn't sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. Obviously, he did. But sometimes the reason that we have such a hard time letting go of our guilt is because there's a deeper spiritual thing that's happening in our hearts when we participate in brokenness, when we, when we sin. And so sometimes, like, we can say, you know, something to somebody. We can try to make amends, all, the, all those, those kinds of things. But we still kind of hold on to that guilt. Some of us have been carrying guilt with us for decades at this point in our life. That's because ultimately, even though something we might have done been, had been directly against another person, our sin is against God very directly. David felt guilt and remorse for what he had done, not just that he had been caught. He recognized that his guilt before God, his sin, had, had broken something in his relationship with God. And that's what's so important about how we move through our guilt. It's not just that, oh, man, I got caught. So I need to just say whatever I need to say to get out of it. I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. All the, no, it wasn't. You did it on purpose. And, and you've got to acknowledge that. You, you've got you to share that. You've got to confess that. 
David didn't come to this guilt and remorse for what he had done, not just getting caught. He didn't come to that completely on his own at first. It took the prophet Nathan to confront him. You would think about Adam and Eve, the first time that we broke the world with, with our sin. They had to be confronted and caught. It had to be pointed out to them because we need to be exposed to the darkness within us by light. And that's something that God does in our life through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, through other people, godly people in our life. In our world, darkness prevails and light can grow dim. This is what happens when we don't compare ourselves to what God's standards are for how we live our life. We, we get kind of caught up in a world, kind of like David did, in a culture where it would be normal for kings to act like that. You just do whatever you want because you got the power, you got the control. Who's going to do anything to stop you? But that's not the standard that God calls us to. And so when it comes to our guilt, we've got to decide, hey, are we, are, are we just hoping we don't get caught? Or are we recognizing the damage that our sin has done and that has caused? Not just to other people, but to our relationship with God. I mean, you look at David's rap sheet. You look at the Ten Commandments. I mean, do not murder. Do not get, commit adultery. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet. I mean, he's just, he's just going down the line. And it's easy, to, it's easy to look at stories like David or stories around us, the ones who are caught on camera, and think, man, how terrible of a person. How could anybody do that? But that's just because we're trying to make ourselves feel better about our own guilt and the things that are hidden in our lives. When Jesus comes along, he identifies that it's not just enough to not get caught murdering someone. He said, even the way that you think about other people, you harbor hatred in your heart to another person, wishing them dead. Is, is that really that much better? The, the way that it affects your heart and the way that you interact with, with other people. And Jesus teaches that you know, we're not handing out prizes for basic expectations in life. Congratulations, you made it 24 hours without murdering somebody out of hatred and anger. Like you, no, you don't get a prize for that. That's, that's just a simple basic expectation. But the way that you think about somebody and treat them and um, talk about them behind, your back, behind their back, I mean, that, that has real-world implications as well. One of our rules as a church is that no perfect people are allowed. I think sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, that means we're, we're good, like it, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Whatever we've done, we can kind of come in. And, and, and that's true at, at the beginning. But at some point we recognize that there's something that we've got to do, we've got to respond with in our lives because we know we're not perfect. And that's recognizing that we, we need our relationship with God to be restored. It's with the understanding that we all have guilt and we all need Jesus as a result of it. It's not about minimizing that guilt, which is kind of what our culture does. It's an important distinction. It's an open confession as we come in here that we're not perfect. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. And that's what David does as he is open and public about his confession to God of his guilt. Finding Jesus and loving God means that we recognize our need for salvation and acknowledging that is a vital step in our faith journeys to understanding why we need Jesus. And so David starts there. When it comes to his guilt and moving to restoration, he starts with confession. The second thing that he goes into is the cleansing. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 7, David says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was a plant that was used to spread blood as a result of sacrifices. Um, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, 
and renew a, re a steadfast spirit with me. Another good old school scores, chorus, by the way, way, too. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I mean, when you recognize how dirty you are, you've you got to get clean. Unless you're a middle school boy and you're like, I haven't taken a shower in three months. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not referring to anybody specific, I promise you, um, at all. Like, not, I'm not even being ironic. Seth does take showers. Seth, I apologize. I don't, you just ended up with a preacher for a dad. So, no, he does a great job with that. But sometimes we just don't deal with it. We're just like, well, we just kind of put it to the side. But we, we need cleansing as a result. Um, it's really interesting that the symbol for saying yes to Jesus, for participating in uh, coming to God is baptism, is being immersed in water, is being washed and coming up. Again, we talk about, I mean, it's nothing magical about the James River <laughs> or the baptistry here, but it's, the, it's what God does through that picture, the death, burial, resurrection of the washing away of those sins. David knew his brokenness. He confessed those things. He knew he was guilty, and he didn't run from God. He ran to God, and he recognized that there was a need for change in his life. That, that only, that's something that only God can provide because it couldn't be on his own power. He's like, you know what? I'll just be a really good person from here on out. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make up for some of the dumb things that we do in our lives. Only God can do those, do those things. He was crushed. His joy was absent. But he knew that he needed to be cleansed for those things to come back into his life. It's one thing to confess to God, but prayer for cleansing is a whole other step. It's being proactive. Verse 10, again, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's something only God can do, and it's something that he promises to do for us through Jesus and through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He wants joy back to be separated, to be restored from his guilt, and only God's grace can do that. And he gives it freely for us. There's another step that kind of comes along with us, and it continues on in verse 13. And that is, you know, David has confessed his sin, because he's, he's dealt with his guilt. He's recognized that only God can cleanse that from him, from him in his life. And so from that point forward, he's being proactive about his guilt to be restored. David then consecrates his life to him. Now, I, I'm, I'm using the word consecrate because I think it's important for us to use like a weird, archaic, churchy type word, because normally I would just say commit in this situation, but we've got a really strange relationship with commitment in our culture. Like these days, we don't really like commitment because we always kind of want to keep things at our arm's length in case something else better comes along. It's a little bit of FOMO, I think, that ties itself into that, but, you know, some, some sort of missed opportunity that somehow we think, well, if I make concrete plans a week from now, what if, you know, somebody invites me to take their private jet to the Caribbean and, you know, it's all expensive patron? It's, that's not going to happen, so... I, I'm just saying, I, no, it's, not, it's not that it's not worth having a dream, but you can cancel your other concrete plans. They'll understand if something like that does happen, right? Okay. Con David, he commits his life before God. He consecrates. It means we're, we're delaying something in our life, our own sense of what we think that we need for what God tells us that we need and what's more beneficial for us, or we're setting something aside as, as sacred in that moment. And David consecrates his life before God. He says in Psalm chapter 51, verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, 
so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You, you read that and you think, well, the sacrificial system was a big part for God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And David said, you don't care about those kinds of things. Why do you ask us to do it? He finishes up the chapter with, you know, a, a reference and a call back to those things being acceptable. God, it's, it's based on how we offer those things. It's the heart behind it. And we, we can show up to church. We, I mean, we can, like, stop on the side of the road and help somebody change their car. We can, you know, serve people at work and do all those things. But if and we got a horrible attitude about it, is that really, is that really the, what God is calling us to? It's a, it's a heart thing. It's the way that we approach our, our, our spirit um, in, in, in how we approach those things. You know, it's, it's kind of like if with our guilt, instead of confessing and, and asking for cleansing and consecrating ourselves for God, we just decided to make a deal with him. It's like, God, if you get me out of this jam, if you keep this secret, if you don't let anybody else find God, if you just let me pass this one test, I will dedicate my whole, you know, collection of, you know, silver coins to you or what, what, whatever the thing is. Um, I don't collect silver coins. I don't know where that came from. So that's, that's not what God is looking for. He's not looking to make a deal with us. He's saying, no, I, I want to actually help you change your spirit. I want to restore your soul from the guilt that you have heaped onto it. David goes beyond confessing. He prays for cleansing and then consecrates himself to God. And, and this is how we move from guilt to restoration. I know some of your backstories. I don't know all of it. You guys know some things about me. Maybe you feel like, oh, you know, I, I know Rob really well because he, you know, shares certain things from his life. You don't know everything about me, and I don't know everything about you. David's story, his backstory was made public, <laughs> very, very public. I mean, a whole inscription before the psalm, by the way, this is when David did this really horrible, terrific thing, and this is what he had to say about it. Maybe, maybe you've been caught in a sin. Maybe you feel the guilt from that. Maybe you have not been caught yet. I will tell you that the consequences of those things in your life are impacting you. They are impacting the life of people around you because of how you're having to curate your life for other people in the, in the guilt that you have. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's the actions. Maybe it's things that you look at. Um, maybe like David, he was um, attracted to a woman that he shouldn't have been and pursued that attraction in a way that he shouldn't have. Maybe you struggle with with sexual temptation, maybe you struggle with dishonesty, um, you know, lying, withholding things from your spouse, uh, being dishonest with our money and taxes. Is that okay for me to say? We should be honest with our taxes? Okay. I, I, it was a joke, but yes, thank you. Um, maybe you have addiction, uh, struggle with drugs, alcohol, pills, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe it's just you're super judgmental. You're always finding something about somebody to say, say something. Um, maybe you always think the worst of people. Maybe you're stingy. Um, maybe you're prideful. 
maybe you're way too concerned about how other people see you and curating your image for those other people and your soul is just dying inside because you're keeping all that guilt for yourself instead of giving it, confessing it to God, being cleansed from it and consecrating your life for the best that he has for you. Maybe you're more concerned about fitting in with what's around you and you don't care about God, what God thinks. I, you know, the list continues to go on. And again, we're talking about things that we do that cause guilt in our lives. Some of, some of us carry guilt for things that other people have done for us, that other people have done to us. And even in those moments, we need to confess that we've been holding on to somebody else's guilt on our life and ask God for cleansing and consecration from that. You did nothing wrong, but you still carry the weight of that guilt. God wants to and does restore us from that through Jesus. Sometimes we need restoration from the regular course of our lives. We need a vacation. Sometimes we break things, though, that need to be restored. And it's not difficult to find ourselves thinking we're not as bad as someone else. We play the comparison game because our sin is less public or it doesn't have the same degree of consequence as someone else's. But the biggest mistake that we make culturally is that we moved away from being convicted by our guilt to explaining it away as being not significant. We get stuck in guilt when we, when we reframe. We move to the other side of guilt through restoration. It's like putting lipstick on a pig when we reframe the, the wrong things that we've done, the sin against God. It's like putting lipstick on a pig or Bondo on a rusted out car. At some point, things are going to fall apart. It's going to become obvious. David's repentance became as public as a sin. He could have written in his personal journal for no one to see. He could have written the song and tore up the evidence. Uh, but even if there were only rumors and tales about his behavior, his sin had public consequences. Like I said before, we don't sin in a vacuum. It impacts us and those around us, even when it's in secret. David makes countless appeals before God. And maybe this is a list that you need to incorporate in your life this week as you're hanging on and dealing with guilt. You could just go through Psalm 51 and meditate that on this week and look at these appeals that David makes before God. He says, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. We can come to God with anything. And he is wanting to restore us from our guilt. And so I want to encourage you, write out, if you're dealing and racked with guilt, um, or if you come to this moment, write out your own poem and own prayer. I'm not saying share it on Facebook. I'm not saying, you know, ask us to sing it as a song on a Sunday morning. But, but don't, just, don't just put it to the side. Don't just, don't just hide it away. Confess it. Ask for cleansing. Consecrate your, li your life. Your past doesn't have to define your present. But it will if you don't address it. And it will if you don't give it to God. So just a couple simple things. Say you're sorry. And then make a change. That's, that's, what, that's what David's doing with, with the psalm. He's saying he's sorry. And he's committing his life to God to make a change. David is known as a man after God's own heart, despite his guilt. And that's because he continues to pursue God and goes to him to cleanse him from his sin. Well, the same thing happens to us through Jesus and the cross. And every week at Velocity, we take communion together to remind us of this. 
is that there's a cleansing that happens as a result of us saying yes to Jesus. We're going to celebrate that at noon today at Robius Landing through three people being baptized. And if you've been considering that and want to join in that, please let us know. Maybe there's more who've been considering it. For in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the toning sacrifice for our sins, and only, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today as we come together and share in a time of communion uh, with one another. We've got a couple different tables around, around the room. We've got two cups stacked together, one with a little bit of bread, one with juice, representing Jesus' broken body and shed blood. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to share in that time together right now. God, we thank you for restoring us from our guilt. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that is living and active through the presence of your Holy Spirit in our hearts as we say yes to you, as we are restored in our relationship to you. God, we thank you for restoring joy and salvation in our hearts and lives through Jesus. God, we honor you through this. Help us to have the courage to confess, to ask for cleansing from you, and to consecrate our lives to you. Uh, so that we may experience and see your joy in our life despite the guilt that seeks to hold us back from that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.